Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and shortly we will be starting our next episode. We will be providing you tools, resources, and information that you can use to make your life just a little bit better. But before we do that, let's honor our country, and then we'll begin the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and tonight is episode 54, 54, almost as old as I am. Uh, we have a special guest uh, with us tonight, Sean Coffey. He is an author, speaker, trauma survivor, addiction and recovery uh, individual, and a mental health advocate. Sean is someone who wants to utilize his experiences in hopes that they help others and inspire people to take their lives back. He is uh, certified. He's certified recovery support worker in New Hampshire. Uh, every time I hear New Hampshire, I think of uh, Bill Murray in uh, What About Bob? New Hampshire. And uh, anyway, uh, recovery coach, uh, academy graduate. He is a author of the book or a co-author of the book, Boys Do Cry, and he is also a public speaker. Uh, active addiction and long-term recovery experience of 26 years, 15 years experience in chronic homelessness. That'll be an interesting part of his story. And childhood trauma and adverse experience survivor, mental health awareness advocate, and brain disorder and he had a brain disorder of the corpus callosum and he callosum. There you go. <laughs> and uh, he, he had to help me out with that word. So with no further ado, uh, welcome to the Men on a Mission podcast, Sean Coffey. Nice to All have right, you sir. on, Sean. Thank you. You bet. Uh, it's, it's great to have you uh, on. We've been kind of going back and forth. I know we had some scheduling things, but uh, that's just life. But uh yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're on and you are episode 54. And I think, you know, the listeners, the veterans and their family members, uh, I think will get a lot from your story. It is a uh, dramatic story. And the turnaround is, you know, in my opinion, miraculous. So uh, I think there's a lot of vets out there, especially right now, 
um, that could really use some inspiration and, and uh, kind of share in your strength. So if you could start off our first segment and tell the listeners a little bit about um, your, your story, and then towards, you know, towards uh, the end of that, if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the book, Boys Do Cry, and kind of bring that back and tie it into uh, to your story. And uh, I'm going to bow out from the, uh, from the mic, and I'm going to turn it over to you. And uh, I, I want to hear your story as well. So uh, take it away and, uh, and go for it. Well, um, I grew up in New England. I uh, was born in Washington State, and we kind of transplanted. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was two. I think we stayed in that area until I was around five. And then um, my dad and I moved to New England where he had family. He was bi diagnosed um, schizoaffective, which is a combination of bipolar and schizophrenia. Um, he had manic depressive, he was manic depressive, and he had singular bipolar by, by itself. Um, and that, this was back when they used to kind of, you know, different things. And now it's kind of um, lumpy, I guess you would like all lumped in. Um, so from probably around when we moved here and around maybe six or seven, uh, that's pretty much when the, the abuse, I'm going to say like as far back as I can remember, maybe a lot of it was physical. Um, you know, at, at being younger, a lot of it was, I mean, a lot of it was emotional just because the physical aspect, um, you know, I'm, I'm little at that point, but you know, as I got older and, um, he expected more out of me or me trying to navigate life and, and not doing it his way. Um, that's pretty much when it, when it got to a point where, uh, it started to get physical. Um, so I lived with that from, like I said, maybe remembering six or seven all the way to 16. Um, a lot of that was emotional, mental, and, and physical abuse. There's, um, numerous, you know, I guess without getting into specific and, and you know, for time's sake, there was just numerous times where, I was on, you know, the floor or somewhere just looking at somebody who says they love you, you know, and uh, at the, the same time, they're doing these things. So at a young age, my mind was all jacked up to begin with. Um, my family was military, police uh, and hospital. So it, you kind of grew up in, in, in that environment and you had a choice, you know, um, my dad didn't really be against me not going in the military. It wasn't like something that he wanted to do, but he had suggested it. And, um, you know, through all that stuff, even though there was a barrier um, between our relationship and the abuse and stuff like that, there's obviously still love there um, because he is your parent at the end of the day. So I go to the Air Force recruiter's office and um, my dad was in the Air Force as well. So I go to the Air Force recruiter's office and I show up and there's a little clock on the door with the dials, you know, and it says like, we'll be back at one out to lunch. I get to the stairwell and um, I hear the creak of this door and it opens up and it's a Marine Corps guy sticks his head out. He's like, hey, where are you going? And I'm like, ah, I had a meeting with the Air Force and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go wait. <laughs> he goes, uh, you want to be a man or do you want to be a pussy? And I was like, let's talk. So I ended up, um, I literally ended up sitting in the Marine Corps recruiter's office for about a week. And that was it. Um, my dad was so angry because he, he just was air force. Everything was, you know, air force. And that's what I should have done. And hindsight 2020. And I guess after these two segments, you guys, maybe you, you might think the same, but, uh, 
in retrospect, I wouldn't have learned the things that I did, I guess, if I didn't have these things happen. So I get into uh, boot camp. I, I was a senior speaker, so they wouldn't let me not like go to graduation. Uh, I, I was going to just get my diploma later and go before graduation. But so three days after I graduated, I'm on a plane to get into, you know, the recruit depot and they tell you that you're going to be treated with the, you know, the respect of a Marine and, and all this stuff. And, and mind you, the biggest part of the story is that I had so much of, if you could look at a drill instructor and you could look at my father there in that the only difference is that a drill instructor, um, I mean, at this time couldn't put it, put their hands on you. So often there was that disconnect for me where, where I'm sitting there trying to be, you know, disciplined, but at the same time being, I guess, triggered by all the, the yelling and, and different. So at some certain points, I tuned it out and I was called out by drill instructors for stuff. And I'm just like, like, is this a joke? And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, because you, you can't hit me. Like, you, you know, like I come from this environment, but um, so I get into SOI, which is like a, a school for, for the army. It's 30 days of, if you have a non-infantry MOS, then you go to Marine combat training, which is dumbed down version of that so it's two weeks instead of 30 days in that time frame there was a little bit of like hazing going on and some other stuff and and um I had already kind of I think made up my mind already that like this isn't something that I can do long term because of the the way that you know the whole boot camp thing and then after boot camp when I'm supposed to be like a marine now still being treated the same way and and also being 18 years old you know I went and took off I, I went AWOL and and um I came back coincidentally and kind of hilariously the day that my platoon graduated so they thought <laughs> when I came back they were kind of like you think you can just leave and come back on graduation day and you're just good to go and uh, <laughs> you know you know so I um they told me that they were going to give me dishonorable discharge and, and, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. And, um, but you're going to get Liberty this weekend. And I was like, if you give me Liberty after you just told me this stuff, like I'm going to, I'm going to just go again. So, you know, and, and again, I'm 18 and hindsight's 2020, I would have retired three years ago. <laughs> um, so I, I made the choice to, to leave again. And uh, the second time I called my dad and I let him kind of know what was going on and, um, he basically said, like, thank you for talking to me about this, but I can't really have contact with you. That's like, I don't want to say harboring a fugitive, but like, you know what I mean? Like being in contact with me, knowing that, um, that I was absent from the military. Uh, he just said, you should probably go back. So years, um, I actually spent 35 days in a, a brig in Camp Pendleton and they let me out. And uh, when I got out and I got my discharge and everything, I had a general under honorable conditions and I wondered how the hell that happened. Um, years later, I found out that my dad, I found a folder uh, that my dad had eked out coming down to the Marine Corps office, all different news outlets, some, some um, local, you know, government to try to get the, the discharge changed. And, and I don't know that he was successful in doing that, but I was supposed to get a bad conduct and I had a, a general under honorable. Um, so I can attribute maybe that, somewhere along the line, my dad helped. And I, and I really don't know how all that happened. That's pretty much the military side of, you know, of that story. I mean, there's, uh, after the military, I mean, my dad passed away. Um, that kind of jacked me up. There is, you know, as you said in the, in the intro, there is a whole bunch of years of addiction. And, and about right now, 
13 years as, as of July. So, um, you know, this in, in 2018, I got the opportunity to do the book. It was really awkward for me to talk about myself, but this was at a time where I had already been in my field of mental health and substance use for a few years. I knew that there was parts of my story that I needed to get out there because there had to be other veterans or other people that were in the same position. So I got the opportunity to do the book and that was the first time I was really honest with myself, vulnerable and just kind of uh, an open, no pun, but an open book, you know, um, nothing was off and, and that kind of went the way, went, went the way that it went. And so <clears throat> she published the book in 2018 and, and it took off the, the homelessness part this whole thing is that uh, after my, my dad had passed away, um, I mean, I left home after I came back from the military. So I, I left home at like 20 years old, I think at that point, and I was on my own and I was rebelling against my dad. So I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, well, that turned into all those years of, of homelessness. And that doesn't necessarily mean I was outside or I was living in a tent or something like um, I was like sleeping on couches uh, you know, I, there was a, a, a bridge in town that I had, that I had slept under and, and some woods and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, I couldn't get out of my own way. And, um, you know, the, the experiences of, of my past were kind of paving that, that future that I was on, I guess you should say. There is a significant substance use, I guess, part of this in that I had to leave Colorado because, and this is in the book too, and I, I'm pretty sure we'll drop the link so that people can out if they want to but uh, there was a situation where I had a lot of people looking for me and I had to leave the the place that I was and um that situation is in the book but this is also the catalyst of of how all this came about so and and even how I ended up in, in my job which we'll talk about later too but um I ended up being in a transitional housing environment and um, there was, I went out to the smoking hut probably a month after I'd been there and there was a guy in there and he was talking about drugs and he was from Colorado and as movie-ish as this sounds, he was one of the guys that I was connected to, um, 15 years prior to this incident. And he made some phone calls back to Colorado and basically, um, told the place that we were living at that I should be careful and all this other stuff. Now they don't screw around with any of that information. So they waited for me to get home from work, had all my stuff packed in the garage, told me to put it in a truck, gave me $400 and said, go, um, you know, get a hotel for a couple of nights and we'll see what we can have. Because of my veteran status, I was able to get into a GPD program, which is grant per diem. And there's a lot of them across the US and they're all for um, two year, I think most of them are two year transitional housing program kind of you live in a place for for you know two years you get rehabilitated they help you with housing they help you with finance you know do your finances basically try to rehabilitate you from the state that you're in to a sustainable environment um so i ended up living there for the two years um i moved to a different program there which enabled me to have my daughter um and i started to work for them in substance use environments um on a an addiction crisis line that we have in the state and then also a safe station. So then that's like a place that people can go to. I ended up leaving the job there. And at this current moment, I am a case manager in the same place that I, that I was in as a resident. So 
um, there's there's more on that in, in the next segment for sure. Um, so this book, it's it helped me kind of open myself. It helped me kind of be okay with talking about these things and where most men hold, and especially military men, have this persona in society that we have to be this big macho guy. You know, like we have to, we can't show emotion, we can't cry, we can't do any of the things that make us look feminine or or um, show a side of us that not a lot of people. You know, not a lot of people see. So the the lady who compiled the book is Michelle Cadenac, and she reached out to twelve guys who have all been in situations um, such as that, and kind of reframed what it feels like and what um, this new, I guess, version of men where we are able to be vulnerable and able to show these, um, you know, these vulnerabilities to the world and know that there's how many ever million men out there that feel exactly how we do, but there's not very many of us that'll stand on two feet. And so that's basically the, the premise of the book and, and how, um, how that all got put together. What's the last thing that you said again, just to make sure that everyone catches the last part there. Um, just that the, the, the book helped me and obviously now is helping others um, in situations to be more open with people immediately, you know, in, in their immediate family or close friends. Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to have conversations with my close friends around these certain situations. And some of them say, yeah, like, you know, I, I do, I get it. And we'll get them to talk and not in a abundant, you know, social situation, but in small circles. So it is creating the conversations that we hoped it. Right. Wow, there is so much to unpack uh, in yeah. that in that opening, Sean, um, from the abuse, you know, by your father, the abuse that continued in your brief uh, stint in the Marine Corps, and then the homelessness and the addiction, and there's so many boxes that that you know you can check off uh, yeah. when it comes to been there, done that. Now you are in a place where you are helping other veterans, whether they be Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, you are helping them um, in that transitional uh, aspect of, of, of their lives. And do you think that if you wouldn't have, you know, walked through that muddy river of all that baggage that you went through, do you think you would be in the position you are today as far as being a servant and giving back to your brothers and sisters in arms? I'd like to say no, but at the end of the day, none of that's, it all did happen. So it's hard for me to, to differentiate, but I, I feel like I don't think the passion and I don't think the, the, the passion to do the work. And I don't think that the, um, there's a certain level of caring that you get when you're a peer to somebody than when you just come in and, and work for it. And I'm not saying that any type of book smart or any type of um, you know degrees and stuff don't help you, but um, most people say that they want to work with people that do um, that have kind of walked in those shoes. Right. So yeah. It just that makes makes it easy. That is so important um, and, and why I believe it's so important that 
all of us as veterans, we need to put our story out there. We need to put our pain out there, uh, our struggle, our stuff, and not to say, look at, you know, look at me, you know, look what I've done or look what I've got through. What's your problem? Not that type of mindset, but, but like you said, when it comes to the military, you know, soldiers, they will, they will open up and they'll talk about almost anything with another soldier, but they're not going to tell a civilian or a spouse or a brother or a sister. They're not going to tell them squat. You know? Brad, that's that's where the healing happens, you know, because they're yeah. not now they're not just talking to another veteran. They're talking to somebody who went, has been put in their shoes and, and even lived in the program and can empathize um, with with the situation, but still have that boundary of I'm here and trying to get you guys in a in a good in a good in a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, we're coming up on a uh, we're coming up on a break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, kind of pick up where we left off in segment two. Um, your story is just filled with, <clears throat> excuse me, so much inspiration and power and uh, despair and sadness. But there's also a lot of joy and a lot of growing up and maturity that took place within your story. Um, we will have in the show notes your links, uh, a link to where you can buy the book and a link to your website and your social media links. So those will be in the show notes. So, um, you know, if you're listening to this later, um, which this is a podcast, so you will be listening it, listening to it later, but we will have the, uh, the links in the show notes so you can, you know, connect with Sean going forward. But um, let's go ahead and take our short break. And then when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off. Uh, and we have a lot more to cover in the second segment. So stay with me, Sean. And we'll be right back after a short break. Welcome our new sponsor, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran. And your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code Brad Richard at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. Hey, welcome back. We are speaking with Sean Coffee. He is an author, speaker, trauma survivor, addiction and recovery, as well as mental health advocate. Um, his story is amazing. If you didn't uh, hear a little bit about his story, check out the first segment of this episode, episode 54, but we are back with Sean. And um, when we went to break, um, you know, you were talking about the addiction aspect, the homeless aspect, all the things that had happened to you along with the passing of your father. And that led you to a place where you're currently working in a transitional uh, transitional housing, right? And it's the same place that you yourself resided at. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. If you want to just take it from there, moving forward, and and uh, you know, because it's like been there, done that, lived that, and you actually did, and you actually lived where you're working at now. So that is a yeah. is a whole new twist. So kind of go forward from that point. 
I ended up being in this transitional housing. And um, just as we talked about in the first segment, there's uh, housing and budgeting. There's um, benefits, mental health, medical, substance use. They have all of these different categories that you work with in your case management. Um, and basically, the, the main goal is to um, find long-term sustainable living situations for um, homeless veterans that had uh, issues. Uh, in this program, I basically learned that in order to make money and live to adhere to these rules. So it was the first type of situation where rules applied. Um, and if you guys go back and listen, or you did listen to the first section, you would understand the the barrier with authority that I that I might have had at that point. So um, that was also a, an internal struggle. But so I, I got into this program because obviously I was a veteran. Um, the previous 15 years before this, I knew that I had gotten out of the military with a general um, under honorable conditions. But what we didn't talk about is that they put they gave me an RE4, which made sure that I was never able to get back in the military again or upgrade it to a point where I could get a waiver or anything like that. So for hindsight, I spent um, the better part of all those years trying to get back in. I would talk to the recruiters. I would do all this hindsight's 2020. Um, I know that kind of sounds cliche, but uh, there was a wrong there that I felt I needed to write and, and um, throughout the whole in, in that whole entire period. Um, so I get into this place and they get me up to the VA and I find out that I'm eligible for services, <clears throat> which, um, excuse me, which obvious, um, well, not obviously, but it, it, it gave me mental health. So I go in and I see some mental health people and I, and I realize that there's a ton to unpack, but kind of don't um, latch onto it, I guess. And I was very non-receptive to anything therapy or you're you know it's a person who makes 80 grand who got spent eight years in school who is just going to tell me what the book says you know that that kind of a um mentality until i sat in there and i just started to learn how for lack of a better phrase how like jacked up i was so basically i get these skills of being able to sustain rent and being able to actually get to a point where I am um, fully in their program where I'm I have the this voucher of they gave me a back voucher which is veterans assisted subsidized housing and that um, that voucher was pretty much like uh, um, a public housing voucher but it was through the military so uh, they assisted me in getting that voucher and I am currently still on the voucher right now. So, you know, the things that I, I did get from being chronically homeless and having, you know, having these experiences basically afforded me the, these, I guess, kind of fail safes in, in life. So I still have the voucher, which has a case management component to it. So I'm a case manager at work and I'm still, I'm still receiving case management, you know, in my in my personal life. So it's it's kind of been that environment where they've fostered kind of this ability for me to see myself outside of a 
uh, well, kind of outside of the whole situation. So I could see these parts of, of the program that they were trying to help us with and really be able to hone in on them um, singularly and try to work on them. So one thing that I think people need to kind of understand is that the uh, basically that when you're in substance use and homelessness that oftentimes people don't get it the don't get it right the first time. Sometimes it I think averages like six or seven times before before they get it. So there's a lot of mistakes and fails and you know learning and then successes also. So it's been a pretty crazy journey, but all in all, um, I'm at a place now where I've been in my field for about six years. I've been continued the therapy since 2015 and I've been with current therapists for maybe like three years and he's kind of helped me with the diagnoses of the ADHD and you know just some other cues for me to to kind of to, to go off of so I went to back to the mental health team um, we did some assessments and I've been I'm currently medication for the the ADHD and um actually made me like a completely different different person in a sense that and I'll get into this in a second but the the, the corpus callosum stuff I feel like the the ADHD component of it the medicine kind of connects these these um broken pathways I guess if you will. so the corpus callosum is it connects the left and right hemisphere together it's the major highway of information from the left side to the right side and I'm missing um either i'm missing a large portion of it so just from knowing that and then knowing the adhd which these two things i didn't know about until after in in my middle 30s um so you can imagine growing up if i knew or my dad or the school knew about the adhd and, and the other and the the uh corpus callosum stuff we we might have been able to catch it. There might be therapies, um, but we're at, at this point, we're at a part where we can't really attribute anything to the past. So we have to, uh, you know, just just go forward. So I guess coming full circle, the the fact that I'm working in a place that I was a resident in to me is baffling, and. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunity and it's helped me be the case manager and it's helped me be the, the, um, the employee and it's helped me be the, the coworker, um, you know, that I, that I am today. Yeah. Do, do you think, um, the ADHD and the, um, corpus callosum? Yep. Okay. Um, do you think now, is there anything from the past that contributed to those or was that so that was something that was underlying right yeah so the the agenesis it's called agenesis of the corpus callosum but when that happens um like in the birth uh in the whole birth process so i that that corpus callosum didn't form when i was being born you know what i mean um and then the adhd and you know the other there's a couple other um mental health diagnoses, but those um, I may be able to attribute to the, you know, struggles that my dad had. Um, mm -hmm. Some of that stuff is kind of, you know, passed down, but he's not here. And he's been, I mean, he passed away in 2001. 
I got out of the military and um, I went in in 98 and I got out in 2000. So um, a lot of this is unknown. And that's been one of the hardest parts, I think, of trying to deal with this stuff is that it's been like this for, for a long time. And I, I feel like my past has attributed to the ADHD a lot because, um, you know, there's relationship PTSD there. Um, and then that's just, you know, not, not physical or like, like, love kind of connect um relationship that could be with just friendships that could be you know with all these other you know co-worker employee all that stuff so i believe that the adhd played a huge role um in a, in a lot of that and then you know adding the stuff from my childhood and even the military and some of the choices and decisions that i made in that middle period um they all attributed it to it as well yeah yeah i was just <clears throat> i was looking for the for, for the dots to to connect yeah, there was a couple times where you were blipping out. So that's why I pulled my video down to see if it, it would uh, kind of clear up a little bit. And it did a little, it, it did somewhat. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. The, I, I wanted to kind of step back. You, you said that your father passed away in 2001. So yep. it's, it's been 20 years. Yeah. Um, over. If I could ask you a personal question, and I, and I ask it for a reason, because I think, your answer would be beneficial to the listeners. Now that, you know, where you're at now and, and helping other veterans uh, in the transitional housing aspect, along with their finances and, and getting them back into a, a place of normalcy, where you're at today, how do you see, how do you see your father? That's yeah, I mean, where have you gone with, with the growth of your mind and your heart and, and, and those events? Um, because you are your own man now and you are self-parenting yourself you're taking care of yourself and you are living to make sean a, a you know a, a better veteran and a better and a better man so if your dad was here today what would you tell him man um Honestly, in the last year or so, there's been um, a lot of stuff that's come to light from my mom, uh, and I understand why she was never around. I mean, there was probably not even six months from the time I was, you know, little to the time, maybe a year or so after my dad passed away, that we had got to spend together because of the barriers that my dad put up. So, um knowing that and knowing you know just how what the life has gone um i kind of want to tell him that that you know i i understand that there is no book um i'm also a, a father to a, a 10 year old and um so you know it it even kind of hits a little bit harder for for this um because now i'm looking at what i have put my put my daughter in those same situations that my dad put me in and i think i would just say like I understand that there's no book and I understand that, you know, you tried to do your, best, but that wasn't it, you know, um, mm -hmm. I've spent from the time that he's passed away until present day, um, even up to hours ago today, unpacking all that stuff. Um, and like, as I said before, it's not in just in this last four years with therapy and understanding and have, being able to unravel this stuff really work on it and have somebody who understands these things tell me like you're doing good or like 
you may think that you're you 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 are looking at it from your perception and i'm here telling you that you're doing these things and you're getting better and and um and i'm now to a point where i can say that damn i've put in a lot of work um i've sort of i, I mean in in our you know profession in our personal lives we're always going to be works in progress we're always going to have things to work on and i think somebody who's in a better situation than i have still has those things because without them we don't grow and we don't um we don't inspire ourselves let alone other people mm -hmm. i i i'm sure that the answer to this question will it might be difficult you know uh, but I'll, but i'll throw it out there I can see that you are proud of yourself and that you have a level of self-respect. As of today, if your father was was standing next to you, do you feel he would be proud of you? Yeah. Yeah, I really do because, excuse my language, right? Funny. I, I said I broke the fucking cycle. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, I don't treat my daughter this way. I, um, I, I think about things before they happen. Do I ha have anger and, you know, and all this other stuff? Do I have maybe some of the stuff um, that my dad had or exhibited or the same mannerisms or emotions? I have to because I got brought up in that environment. But the, the fact that I have been able to put my feet down and say that that's not happening and because of my mental health, because of my background, because of the addiction, and just because of the way that I was brought up, I feel like that doubles over and it helps me bring my daughter up in an environment that's healthy, supportive, and she knows how she's supposed to be treated, you know? Um, and so in that, in that, I guess, I, I, my dad would, would be proud. Um, if right he on. could hear, if he could hear all the stuff that I've said about him or thought about him, I even think that he would still be proud because, you know, everybody has their own struggles and their own, um, everybody has their own shit, right? But you just get to this point where you get to this point where like you, you focus, you know, and, and, and um, you just move forward. So I, I, I feel like, yeah, he would be, he would be, um, he would be proud. Yeah, I, I think you would be as well. Um, it, there, it's our stories are very similar. Uh, and we've talked about this off air. Um, there's a lot of parallels. Uh, I know my, my father left this world. And when he passed on, he took a lot of pain, a lot of guilt, and um, a lot of I wish I, I wish I could have or I wish I should have. And, uh, and he shit on himself, he could on himself, he, you know, and, and I too broke that cycle and became a very different man than what he was. And to answer that question for myself, you know, I, I believe my father is proud of me as well. Um, I too, you know, I broke that cycle and I did things that he could not make himself do that he could not get to that, that point. So for me, uh, I won't speak for you, but for me, uh, I carry him with me on my journey and on my mission. And, and, you know, he still, he still walks with me and, and anything that, uh, that I can accomplish or anyone that I can help, you know, he's getting credit for that as well. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of giving his life a little extra meaning because I'm living a different life 
and making life better for other people. And I'm sure your dad is seeing that. It's like, wow, look at my boy and look what he's done and look what he's doing for other people. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he's cheering you on uh, and saying, you know, man, he could have taught me a lot of things if I would have listened to him. But, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what we face. And it's uh, but it's hard. Yeah, it, it, it's hard. But uh, it's good uh, to know that that you uh, you believe in your heart that he'd be proud of you. I think he would be as well. I, I want to wrap up here. We got just a couple of minutes and I, I, we're going to wrap up because uh, we could go a lot longer. I know. But uh, folks, we are going to have Sean's links in the show notes so you can connect with him, get a copy of his book. Boys do cry. And um, let's just kind of wrap up the episode um, with your opinion on the importance of veterans, men and women, okay, um, telling their story to no one other than themselves, but really reviewing and speaking aloud your past, your present, and your future, and really, you know, and really owning it like you have done. How important do you think that is? I'll flip the microphone around for a second and I'll just say how, um, who do you, who do you talk to most in your life? You have a wife, right? Right. And then you have family. Um, but you're inside your head 24 hours a day. Um, I was going to say myself. Yeah. Yeah. You're in, (laughs) and obviously there, there was an obvious answer to that, but you're literally in your head 24 hours a day. And that's a dangerous and scary place to be sometime. And it's a rewarding and a, and an amazing place to be sometime. And I think that when things happen such as yours or mine or the, however many people are going to listen to this, um, the importance of being able to talk is huge. Not only because, um, you know, you, you, heal right you the more that you talk about things the easier it is for you to heal but you also touch other people in the same scenarios um and and i learned that through the book that the power of me um basically being so vulnerable that there was no off button um with my story that there's been five or six maybe maybe 10 instances of people that i um, have met or talked to through, you know, direct messages or, or, you know, social media where the, the book hit them in a way that they were able to, to kind of pull themselves out of where they, what they were in or, um, help kind of unravel some of the shit that they were, they were going through. And that is the epitome of the power of telling your story is because I spent all those years saying to myself, like, no one gives a shit about my story. Like I was just some homeless drug addict who kind of pulled himself up by the bootstraps and, and, you know, did this. But as we've been talking about, there's so much to unpack in this story that like we could touch live for another three hours if we wanted to, but, but that's the, the, the gratification that I get is that being vulnerable helps other people realize that there's there's other humans out there that have gone through what they've gone through. And even though they might not 150% know what that person's going through, they've kind of, they've seen the shoes before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the- so that, 
that's what I think of, of, you know, telling, I, I guess, being truthful with yourself, number one, and then, you know, using your experiences to help other people so that it's easier for them to, uh, to walk through that shit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My last question uh, before we wrap up tonight uh, for Sean Coffey. We've been speaking with, with uh, Sean tonight. Um, a lot of good information and an inspiring story. But my last question for you before uh, we wrap up is, do you think it's possible to heal if you don't own your soul or your spirit? And, and you're, if you don't put any ownership in your journey? Listen, I think um, change happens when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of making a change. I think that was Tony Robbins. Um, it's a quote that I use all the time and, and, um, I stay true to that. And I think, no, I think, no, it's like anything. It's like, if you want to get bigger, you eat, if you, if you want to get smaller, you, you reduce, if you want to stay healthy, you go to the gym. These are all things that you have to do on a normal daily, you know, or weekly basis to be able to get the results that you need. So, um, I, I do think that you have to do the work. Um, and when you do amazing shit happens, you heal and, and you, you learn better ways to be. And, and the number one thing I think in my life in the last five years or so is just being better today than I, than I was yesterday being, you know, teaching my daughter, you know, the, the same. Right on the, um, if you want to heal, you need to, you need to attend to the wound. You need to give that wound attention. Uh, and, uh, most wounds do heal, but, uh, but not if they're overlooked or they're ignored. Uh, Listen, the, the healing is scary. It's, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of crying. It's a lot of healing. Um, it's a lot of being in dark places. Uh, but the, the power of going through that also propels you to a place where you can now remember it but you can leave it in the past you know what i mean so like you you end up realizing that that stuff happened knowing what's happening from it but you learn how to heal and you learn how to move forward and you know it may take a year it may take 50 years it may not ever go away but as time goes on when you keep working on it it becomes less and less of an issue and you start to um, spend that time that you would on that thing on other things that are going to propel you. And I think that's how a lot of people that are so inspiring to the general population um, is because they, they live their pain, they work through it. And without that pain, you know, with, without that struggle, it's virtually impossible to help anyone else move forward. You know, yeah. so that's, it's, it's, it's a gift that you give yourself first and then in turn pass it on to someone yeah, else. You, 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 you can't just like, you know, start your healing journey and then two months jump on a stage and, and tell a whole bunch of people, because that's, I mean, I guess you can, but that's how I thought that I could do it. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm halfway healed. And, you know, I, I realized like, whoa, I got a lot more work to do. So I kind of stepped back and now I'm in a spot where, um, the healing has happened. And, and I mean, obviously you heal every day, you heal different parts, you learn different things. So it's a, it's a, a progression, but I'm to the point where 
I've gone through, I think, as I think, as you called it, like the, the muddy, the muddy stuff or the, the muddy water. Like I've the, been through enough of that and I've walked through clean enough water for long enough that um, I now believe in my own power to talk about these things and, and be able to answer people's questions and kind of help maybe see their situation from a different perspective and, and in a way that they're able to kind of grasp it themselves and hold on to it and just and just take off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like walking through a muddy river and not knowing what's under your feet and then walking through a clean river and noticing that you're walking on, you know, beautiful river rock and, and you can see some beautiful things that are underneath your feet. So uh, it's definitely a, a clarity uh, aspect. Wow. Um, Sean, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, folks, you need to check out the show notes. Click on those links, get a copy of Boys Do Cry, uh, reach out to uh, Sean on his social media links, visit his website and connect with him. Like many of my guests on the Men on a Mission podcast, uh, he is a servant, he's a giver, um, he's laughed, he's cried, he's struggled, he's been angry, he's been happy. And uh, the biggest thing is he is still doing it today. And he wants what's best for you, uh, which will also make him move on with, you know, his heart and, and, and his life and becoming a, uh, an even stronger man and an even better father to, to his daughter. So um, we're going to wrap up. Uh, thanks, Sean, for being on the podcast. And we'll talk off air. Uh, I'm going to wrap up like I always do. This is episode 54. We've been talking with Sean Coffey. He is an author, speaker, a, uh, a childhood trauma survivor, and many, many more uh, things. So um, thanks again, Sean. And uh, I'll leave you with this. Love your little me and understand they need you more than you can imagine. So until next time, love yourself and take care. Bye for now. Hey!